Welcome to The Lawyerist Podcast, a series of discussions with entrepreneurs and innovators about building a successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. Lawyerist supports attorneys building client-centered and future-oriented law firms through community, content, and coaching, both online and through The Lawyerist Lab. And now, here are the co-authors of The Small Firm Roadmap and your podcast hosts. Hi, I'm Laura Briggs. And I'm Stephanie Everett. And this is episode 327 of the Lawyerist Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. In today's episode, Laura's talking with Erica Keswin about the importance of rituals and how they can transform the workplace. Today's podcast is brought to you by Postali, ESQ.marketing, and Text Expander. We wouldn't be able to do this show without their support, so stay tuned. We'll tell you a little bit more about them later on. So, Stephanie, this episode is airing in 2021. There's hope on the horizon that some of the impacts of the pandemic may get a little bit easier in the future, we all hope. Uh, but it was really easy to put a lot of things off because for a big part of 2020, you couldn't even do certain things. You couldn't leave your home except for the bare essentials or things like that. So a lot of us put things on pause during the pandemic. And I find that when you do that, it's really easy to just forget it completely, right? And you can sometimes neglect taking care of yourself. So today is kind of our PSA for you to do that. Yeah. And so it's easy to do, but it's so important if you haven't called your doctor and had a physical this year, ladies, if you haven't had a mammogram, you know, get on the phone right now and schedule that. I mean, I'll just share that at the time of this airing, I'm going to be recovering from my first colonoscopy, which just sounds (laughs) awful, but actually my doctor's super cool. And she kind of made it sound, I don't know, exciting. (laughs) It's not the right word, but (laughs) She was just so cool and energetic that I think I liked being around her. And I was like, all right, you know, but like get your teeth cleaned, right? A lot of us have missed our dentist appointments because you only go every six or, you know, are you supposed to go every six months? And then we were in the shutdown. And so your appointments all got canceled and maybe you haven't called to reschedule them again. Yeah. Your skin cancer screenings, all of those things that you only do once a year and you cross it off your list after that point and say, now I don't have to think about this for another year. Well, now it might be going on two years that you haven't been able to do that. So remember to reschedule those appointments. And I think the other important part of this is encourage your employees to do the same. Sometimes it's someone else on your team saying, yep, I've got a dentist appointment. And you go, oh yeah, I haven't been to the dentist in a long time. I need to schedule that too. Yeah, definitely make sure your team's taking care of themselves. It's super important. And now, I mean, I'm not an employment lawyer, so I don't know what your position can be on vaccinations. If your team is available and wants to do it and you can encourage them to do it, I think that's really cool too. Now that those are available to us, I've had my two shots and suffered through. Second one was a little rough, but now I'm better. It's good. Yeah, you had even shared with our team too, hey, you know, sometimes that second shot hits certain people a little harder than others. So as you're making that plan, maybe you either have a really light morning or afternoon after it, or you take some time off just in case that happens. So that's important to keep in mind as well. Now we've got a brief sponsored conversation with Tamara from Postali and then my conversation with Erica. Hey, y'all, it's Zach, the legal tech advisor here at Lawyerist. And today I am joined by Tamara Sykes from Pustali. She is the head of PR there, and she's here to help us discuss a little bit of 
PR principles for law firms. Good morning. Good morning. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me, Zach. Absolutely. Thanks for being with us. And I guess I shouldn't say good morning because this is a podcast. So it'll be on whenever listeners are listening to it, but it's morning for us. So yes. <laughs> so we were discussing before this, the five principles of law firm PR. And I think that's something that lawyers definitely skip over when they're thinking about their firms, especially smaller firms. Could you kind of expand upon that? Help us out here. What's law firm PR? Law firm PR is getting media placements, media attention for a law firm and helping their intended audience. So obviously people are going to hire them, know who they are before they're ready to buy. Gotcha. And so y'all have boiled it down into five principles. And I think that's great because lawyer attention span is not necessarily beyond five principles a lot of time. <laughs> so first off, you've got understand your audience, understand the client that you're talking to, right? Yes. Yes, that is a staple in marketing in general, but for PR, it's especially important because you don't want to be talking to the wrong person or not actually addressing the issues, problems, or the solutions that they actually need. So you need to understand who they are, what causes them to make decisions, what causes them to hire a lawyer, and then speak to that. That actually kind of swings into the second principle of, you know, be credible, right? Yes. <laughs> you got to know your audience in order to be credible in order to speak authentically to them, I guess. Yeah, authenticity is a huge word and it's a buzzword we hear all the time, but yes, you need to, I mean, it's obvious in the legal industry that you know what you're talking about. That's why you're a lawyer. <laughs> However, when it comes to someone who may need to hire you for any specific reason, they already know that. So there needs to be this extra sense of like, here's why I'm the person you should choose. And again, focus on them and be who you are and be honest. Focus on them, lawyer myself. That's a new one for me. I'd like to focus on my own agenda in there. So be credible and be credible towards them, giving them real information that is relevant. And so again, with that, your third one here, and for the listeners, this is something that they brought. This is not from my head. <laughs> Third is be proactive. Go out and connect with that audience and be proactively credible. Yep. You know, part of PR is keeping your ear to the ground and like knowing what's going on in the news. And that actually gives you some really good insight on what your audience is focusing on. So being proactive and looking at what people are talking about, again, your audience, when I say people, as well as thinking of story ideas, like ways to help address a problem or bring awareness or again, share your expertise. So proactively thinking about that is the way to go. So maybe instead of saying, hi, everybody, I'm a family law attorney. You can go out there and say, have you been affected by this thing? Or are you struggling during the pandemic? Something like that. Yes. And you're saying it in all of this is kind of connecting with the audience. And so the fourth one here is be responsive. Yes. We've been proactive. We've connected to them. Now, when they connect back, we're supposed to be responsive. Yes, yes. It's not fair to do the research and then pitch a solution or pitch yourself sharing your expertise and then not engage with your audience. That is a no-no. So definitely want to be responsive, want to reply if it's on a social media post or even if it's just like a blog post. We call this an underlying social currency. You need to engage with the audience as well as with the journalists. It goes both ways. I think that's something that attorneys are going to forget about sometimes because when you think, okay, I don't have time to do this, 
what's the first thing you cut out of here? You don't cut out the credibility or understanding your audience or being proactive. You cut out the being responsive. That is true. Yep. And that, to me, that wastes those first three. Yep. It all has to go together. So it's really important that if you did all of the groundwork and you pitch a story and it you know gets picked up, the next part is what we like to call amplify, engage. Make sure that you are letting people know, like, I'm here. I heard you. Thank you for reading. Like those little things actually really help a lot. You don't necessarily need to engage in a way that is you know, massively researched and really getting into answering major questions. So it sounds to me like you're saying, just engage. I'm here. I'm listening to you. I heard your question. I heard your response. And you don't have to go way down into the answers in order to get there for them. With that, I think the last thing is this is a a long game. This is not immediate results. This is be patient is number five that you've got here. Yeah, that is tough because PR is very different to like advertising. Like if you're doing an ad, if you're doing, you know, an ad on social media or PPC, you can put it up, say I'm applying this much money to it and boom, it goes up, right? Like it's a very simple process. PR it's a long-term game. I actually shared an example recently where I pitched a story for our CEO to a magazine in November and then, you know, got confirmation it was going to happen, but it didn't get published till April of this year. So it's one of those things where it does take some time. And sometimes it's also your story may not be aligned with what's going on in the news right now, or the news may postpone the timeliness of your story. So there's a lot of dynamics that happen. That's why patience is key. And because this is more along the lines of putting yourself out there as an expert, as opposed to putting a Facebook ad out there and saying, hi, did you get a DUI this weekend? This is more you're putting an article or creating an article for someone to read about the six steps after getting a DUI. Correct. Yes, correct. All right. Well, that's about the time we have here. I really appreciate you talking with us. And I always like having Postali on. You guys send such great experts here. I think you're the third person that we've had on here recently giving some great advice coming out of Postali. I really appreciate it. And if people want to know more about law firm PR principles, they can go to postali.com forward slash blog forward slash law firm PR principles. And that is law hyphen firm hyphen PR hyphen principles. Tamara, thanks for being with me again. And we'll look forward to seeing you next time. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Erica Keswin. I'm an author, speaker, and workplace strategist that is focused on the future of work and helping companies improve performance through people. So really excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you back on the show. We've talked about your work before, but you have a new book out. So can you tell us a little bit about the concept behind that book to start with? So the new book is called Rituals Roadmap, The Human Way to Transform Everyday Routines into Workplace Magic. And the way it came to be was after I wrote Bring Your Human to Work, I didn't set out to write another book, let alone another book so quickly. I had this sort of aha moment where I realized that when I think about or thought about the people in the book, Bring Your Human to Work, and how they were creating a more human workplace, one of the tools that they were using, many of them were rituals. 
And so that was a real common theme that they were using rituals, whether they realized it or not, or called it that or not, to help people at work feel more connected to each other, to the brand, to their customers, to their clients, and even to themselves. And I literally had this aha moment. And I was like, I got to write this new book. And so similar to Bring Your Human to Work, my approach is always to share the stories around these rituals, but also the science and the data around what are the ROI of rituals in your life personally and at work. So how would you define what meets the qualification of being a ritual? Yeah, well, I love that question. It's an important place to start and it is different from a rule or a protocol or a habit. So my definition in the book, there's three component parts. The first is a ritual is something to which we assign a higher level of meaning or intention. The second part is that there's repetition. So a ritual is something, it could happen every morning, it can happen once a day, once a year, once every four years. I just did a talk about inauguration rituals. So there is a regular cadence. The third part though, I thought was even more interesting, which is a ritual is something that goes beyond its practical purpose. So if I'm, I'm in my office right now and the lights go out and I light a candle so I can see, you know, that's not a ritual. But if I light a candle every day in the afternoon to help signify the transition from the work day to my home life, that's a ritual. There's meaning, but I'm not lighting that candle to see. And for the record, many people have shared with me that they are creating these transition rituals to help them when we're working and living in literally the same physical space. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest challenges. I've worked remotely before the pandemic, but obviously everyone's gone so remote in the last year and a couple of months at this point. And one of the hardest things has always been the separation between your work life and your personal life. Because when your laptop is so easy to just open, or there's that one email that comes in and you're like, oh, I can just, I can go answer that. Do you have any recommendations? I mean, you talked about the candle one. Jason Fried gave me the tip, close the computer and any work stuff I have to do, I have to do from my iPad, which is really clunky and annoying. So I have to really want to do it. And I usually just say this isn't worth it and it can wait until the next day. What other kinds of rituals help people mark, okay, I'm making a shift from the working person to the family person or the home person? I think it's very individual. And I've seen it both in the morning, like on your way to work, and also to sort of decompress. And I call it the book Rituals Roadmap, because I think we can all design a roadmap that is unique to us, who we are as a person and the kind of work that we do. So the question that I often ask people to think about is when they're figuring out A, if they have rituals or B, where to start is what do you do in your life that makes you feel most like you? And so some people might say, you know, I've got to get out and go for a walk and I do it every morning. You know, I used to walk to the office. Now I just go and do a walk and come back to my house. But that walk is when I have that time to shake off the cereal that my kids have dumped on me and get into that work mode. Rituals ground us. And there is something about right now maintaining things that we did before the pandemic. And for me, one of the things that I've done is I've always done Pilates last five years at 8 a.m. on Tuesday in person. And when I was not able to do that, my teacher went online, which was great, but it still wasn't the same. And I do with one of my closest friends. And given that we weren't commuting and I wasn't on the road speaking anymore, we could have done that Pilates kind of any time. But we kept 
that regular cadence of Tuesday morning at eight. And it does give you that sense of psychological safety and groundedness that these rituals give us. I hadn't really thought about the benefit of keeping it at the same time, doing the same thing, because it does become easy in a remote environment to flex things around and say, okay, I can always do that later. And for me, that's when I find I fall off of the ritual wagon. It becomes so easy. And if I wait all day to start doing something that I have an intention of doing every day, I'm so much more likely to forget it. Is there any common themes or patterns around the concept of how do we track that we're doing these things? Obviously, the Pilates class is something that's probably popping up in your calendar. Have you found that to be helpful or a theme with people that there needs to be a way to market and make sure that it is happening or has happened? Does that help at all? I think the marking is more in terms of how it makes you feel. It kind of goes back to your question around the difference between a ritual and maybe a habit or a routine that for rituals, you want to feel like it's pulling you to do it, not that you have to do it, that it's more of a push. So when you go outside for that walk in the morning and you stop, and instead of just starting to walk, you stop where you are and you take in a deep breath and feel the air and that connection to that meaning and intention around it, ideally, it's something that brings you back to do every day. A ritual is something that it just feels weird if it doesn't happen. And so I'm not gonna beat myself up over it, but if I'm traveling and I can't go to Pilates on Tuesday, the world goes on, but I do miss it. And so when I'm back, I try to make sure that I put it into my calendar. Some people really do like to write it down. I'm a person on Sundays, I like to sort of sit down and ask myself a different question, which is, does my calendar reflect my values? Not only what I need to do at work, but what I need for me. And when I look out at the following week and you know where some of these rituals fit, I wanna make sure that I can do what I can do to make sure that I fit them in. I love that. One of the questions that I have is about one of the things that's shifted with everything going remote that I think a lot of us have felt, we were even talking about this a little bit before we record. So many of the days blur together. Sometimes if it weren't for the calendar where it's telling you today is Tuesday and these are the things you do, I kind of find myself stopping and going, okay, wait, is it Thursday? Is it Friday? I'm not really sure because it's all blending together. Do rituals help in that process of marking different events or pacing within time in a certain way? Because I feel that's a common struggle a lot of us have is the blur. I agree. And I think it's an interesting idea that maybe if you're struggling with that, maybe you can think about creating a new ritual on Wednesday, on hump day to sort of help you market. For me personally, one of my family rituals has always been Taco Tuesday. If it's Tuesday and we're not eating tacos, something feels a little off. So that was always something that marks it. Many people, you know, whether they celebrate officially Shabbat or not, have a ritual at the end of the week on Friday to help transition from the traditional work week to the weekend. And that really is a moment an important moment that marks shifting into the weekend, not that they're necessarily going to do a full digital detox, but it marks it. And so I think, again, it goes back to, does my calendar reflect my values? I also like to start with, what are things in my work week that I'm doing anyway that I can almost elevate to sort of ritual status? And here's an example, and let me know how this resonates with you. I... I'm a big coffee person. Coffee's always been my morning ritual. 
I'm very close with my Starbucks barista. You know, we talked about this probably with Bring Your Human to Work. She inspired the name of my book. But for many years, I would go and I'd sit in the Starbucks, which I can't wait to do when we're allowed to do that again. I'd get my coffee and I would do work and I would sit there and crank out what I was doing and feel like a million bucks at eight in the morning that I had checked off my little boxes and I was so productive. And then one day I realized that I hadn't even tasted the coffee. And it kind of bummed me out because I really enjoy it. I'm not an all day coffee drinker, like that first cup and that first sip, I really enjoy, but it was like mindless and I didn't taste it. And so this was about six or seven years ago, I had this shift where here was something, I went to Starbucks every day anyway. So now when I go, instead of getting it and working, I get the coffee, sadly I can't sit there, I bring it home, but I take just a few minutes and I feel the heat on my hands take a few deep breaths, intentionally and with a lot of awareness, mindfully taste it, take a breath, and then do whatever it is I'm going to do. So to me, it's marking each day, but in something that I was doing anyway, but it feels very different than the way it did. It's almost like going from mindless to mindful, sort of back of the brain to front of the brain. Does that resonate? Oh, I think it absolutely does because in any job or if you're self-employed, I think it's so easy to snap into work mode right away and to forget about those things like drinking the cup of coffee or taking the time to prepare a fresh lunch or something. It's like that can become background noise to I've got to get back to this and I have 20 minutes until this. And I know I'm definitely guilty of that. So I love those tips around this concept of being really intentional with it. Like I'm not just drinking the coffee to get the benefits of caffeine and mark this being the official start of the day. I enjoy this. This is a ritual that I engage in and it's okay to pace that a little bit slower. Sometimes it's really hard to break out of that frenetic pace that we all find ourselves in with work when there's just a lot to do. Yeah. It's funny. That's what I often say is it is about much, much more than the coffee. Oh yes, absolutely. I totally agree with you on that. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, we'll be talking about how you can start and keep rituals at work. Support for today's broadcast comes from Postali. Building the next powerhouse law firm takes hard work and an entrepreneurial spirit. But some skills escape even the savviest of attorneys. To reach new heights in your legal practice, you need a genuine marketing partner, one that tells you where you are now and where your firm could go. Postali works with law firms nationwide, and their trademarked marketing fiduciary services sets them apart from every other vendor that's cold calling or flooding your inbox. Whether it's informal guidance about things you can do today or a big-picture approach to law firm expansion, Postali is perfect for business-minded attorneys with an eye on the future. No matter where you are in your journey, Postali is the full-service, strategic marketing partner that grows with your firm. To learn more about the services Postali offers, visit postali.com forward slash lawyerist and reach out for a free consultation. Support for today's episode comes from ESQ.Marketing an agency that provides successful SEO strategies for every stage of your practice. You will work with experts in legal marketing. All of their intense focus is on helping attorneys generate more clients and cases from the internet. They don't work with anyone else. You'll breathe easy with low-risk, month-to-month contracts. There are no long-term commitments. 
ESQ Marketing earns the right to work for your firm each and every month. Best of all, you'll get direct access to the person working on your account. No account managers to deal with, no lost in translation with your requests. To see if you're a fit, visit esq.marketing forward slash lawyerist to get started. Support for today's broadcast comes from Text Expander. Work smarter, not harder, with Text Expander. Text Expander helps you work faster and smarter so you can focus your time on your most important work. With just a few keystrokes, Text Expander keeps you consistent, accurate, and working efficiently. Speed through emails, expand forms with fill in the blank fields using a quick abbreviation. Use Text Expander's powerful shortcuts and abbreviations to streamline and speed up everything you type. Get your message right every time by expanding content that corrects your spelling and keeps your language consistent with a few keystrokes. Show listeners get 20% off their first year. Just visit textexpander.com forward slash podcast to learn more. So we talked a little bit already about this concept of building rituals in your personal life. Can you talk a little bit about some examples of what rituals for the workplace or for a team might look like? So again, when we go back to this concept of a rituals roadmap, on the business side, I looked at it around the employee experience from onboarding and recruiting. I mean, especially now, how do you make new employees feel connected and included when they've never stepped foot in a physical office and they've never met anybody in person. I mean, hard, doable, but you know, left to our own devices, as I often say, it's just not gonna happen. So there's rituals around onboarding, rituals around meetings, rituals around eatings. There's a chapter, even though, even if you remotely eat together, professional development, celebrating milestones. So it really is the arc of the whole employee experience. And where do you as a leader on your team see opportunities for rituals. I mean, there's so many favorites. I'll share a few, but the other thing to think about is rituals can come from anywhere. They can be top down, they can be bottom up, they can come from the inside out. Sometimes someone will start one and then that person leaves and the ritual continues. So one of my favorites in the book is from Allbirds, the cool felt shoe company. And they have a ritual called 40 at four, which is around taking a break, which For people thinking about rituals right now in their lives, I think we're sitting in front of our computers way more than any of us should be. And thinking about rituals to get you up and moving and taking breaks are really important. But this started well before anybody had heard of COVID-19. An employee went to the doctor, got his annual physical and said, you know what, I'm gonna set some health goals for myself and get in shape and do a bunch of push-ups between now and the end of the year. And he took that number and he divided it by the number of days left in the year and the number came to 40. And he said, I am gonna do 40 push-ups every day between now and December 31st. So we started doing them in the office. And then the guy next to him joined and the woman across the hall. And the next thing you know, everybody in the company is stopping at four o'clock and either watching him do the push-ups or do the push-ups themselves. And it just created this ritual and a time for bonding and connecting and laughing. and. I'm old enough to remember the days of the smoke break. People went outside, some people still do, not as many, thankfully, and smoked. My morning ritual is not just about the caffeine. The smoke breaks were about much more than the nicotine. That's where you got the office gossip and you bonded and met your best friends at work. You know, it's like the water cooler. And so that's really what was happening with this 40 at four ritual at Allbirds. It was just a time for community building. 
And I was able to reach back out to them during the pandemic. And I wrote an additional chapter in the book about rituals during turbulent times and how companies were adapting their rituals. And they're still doing it. Everybody's remote. A different week, someone volunteers to do 40 at four, and they make these hilarious videos doing exercises, holding their little cats and dogs over their heads and <laughs> doing squats and push-ups. And it's a reminder of why we do what we do, reconnects people back to the company and the brand and you know, makes them feel connected, which as we know during these times is really even more important. I'm wondering, do you think that it needs to be totally separated from the work experience. So I know sometimes people will try to build rituals at work that also kind of relate to work. Maybe it's a meeting that happens every Wednesday, for example, and then there's like a portion of it that may be like a ritual or a check-in or some type of event that everyone does together. I've also heard some people say, no, you need to be really intentional that it's not associated with work. So like our team has lunch together every Thursday for an hour. We don't always all eat, but we usually play a game. We teach each other something. We do something as a group that has nothing to do. It's, it's almost like work topics are off the table. And I find that to be helpful. What I get out of that is knowing a little bit more of the people that I work with and not just what they do and how they work. But I'm just wondering, does it need to be separated or can it be together? It doesn't need to be. I mean, there's just no one size fits all when it comes to rituals. The question that I ask people when I'm helping them figure out what they do in their companies that are rituals is take LinkedIn, for example, I would say, so when do employees at LinkedIn feel most LinkedIn-ish, you know, most Chipotle-ish? And the answers are very different. And that's what led me to the structure of the book. So for your company, it might be, you know what, we have lunch every Thursday and we don't talk about work and that makes us feel like us. For another company, it is their check-in in the beginning of the meeting. So it really is company and oftentimes even leader or manager specific. I do find they can be the most sort of sticky, impactful when they are connected to a company's values. Because let's say somebody's not into it. Oh, I don't want to do it. This seems like a waste of time. I don't want to talk about not work. I only want to be, you know, and you could say, well, this actually is important in terms of our company culture and it's related to our value of X. And that's how we sort of live those values. So that's sort of how I start in terms of thinking about it. I like that because I can see that going all the way back to even the hiring and screening process of talking about these things intentionally, not just to say, oh, this is what a great company we are, see how relaxed and fun we can be, but getting a read right there. If you ask somebody, you know, okay, one of our company values is togetherness or communication or something. It's easy to say, oh, sure, I'm on board with that, but this feels like another way to check in and see does the company culture and the company values, do they really jive with this person who is in the interview process or is applying to the job? Because if they're not comfortable with it, or maybe they just don't see the benefit of it at that stage, there's a little bit of a disconnect there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So was there anything in your research that surprised you as you went about the process of creating this book? love that question. Part of what surprised me is none of this is rocket science, but it wasn't really happening. There really was this shift that these were things that people were doing, but it goes back to the Starbucks example that when I was able to shift their thinking as it relates to, oh, this is a ritual, let's celebrate it, let's highlight it, let's lean into it, let's communicate about it. 
the benefits that people were able to get from it were exponentially bigger. I didn't know what to expect as it related to that. I'd say that's number one. Number two, I would say, I didn't know, you know, I always love to start looking at both the stories and the science around this stuff, that the impact to the bottom line, there's something in the book called the three Ps. I put this together after doing all the research, which, you know, I didn't go into it knowing I would find, but rituals give us, the first P is psychological safety and this feeling of belonging and connection. The second P is rituals give us a connection to purpose, add those two together and you get increased performance. So for example, people that work for what we call high trust organizations, when they do feel safe and can be themselves at work, collaboration goes up by 47%, productivity goes up by 50%. Intuitively, I kind of knew this, but I was happily surprised, thrilled really, that there was so much science to back up the impact of rituals. Really powerful stuff. I love it. I think this is such a great continuation of your first book, and it's such a mindful approach to this idea of rituals and all the benefits that it can have individually and across the company. So thank you so much for coming on the show. It was great to get to speak with you again. Yeah, thanks for having me back. The Lawyerist Podcast is produced by Bailey Tiller and edited by Ryan Croft. Are you ready to implement the ideas we discussed here into your practice? Wondering what to do next? Here are your first two steps. First, if you haven't read The Small Firm Roadmap yet, grab the first chapter for free at lawyerist.com book. Looking for help beyond the book? Let's chat about whether our coaching communities are right for you. Head to lawyerist.com community lab to schedule a 15-minute call with our community manager. The views expressed by the participants are their own and not endorsed by the Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you.